Hello! Welcome to Circuit and Gear, a podcast where we discuss scenic automation and other interesting tech. I'm Gareth Connor, and I'm Mike Wade. Mike, it's been it's been a it's been a little bit it's been a little bit a little, little while. A little bit of time. time. A little yeah. bit of time has slipped past us, but we're back, back and better than ever. <laughs> um, this week we're tackling um, a few different topics, and the one that we're going to start with is split A cell D cell. Mike and I, we just got back from USITT, so we're fairly fresh on answering this question a fair amount, right? About <laughs> about whether or not our system can have asymmetrical acceleration and deceleration, um, why we don't have it, and Will we ever have it? Um, so what is, what is split A cell, D cell? We should probably start there. What is split A cell, D cell, Mike? It's <laughs> a great question, Gareth. Thanks for asking. <laughs> uh, well, so it's having the ability to have a different acceleration and a different deceleration in the same queue. Yeah. So top of your queue can you know be more abrupt or more gentle than your than the end of your queue. Yeah. Yeah, and. I, and I hear this discussed sometimes when people are like trying to, they want to start their wagon off stage and they want to kind of gently bring it up to speed and then right as it hits sight lines, then shoot off at the program velocity. Um, and then when you get on stage to your spike, have a more abrupt deceleration like you're talking about. That's one common place where it comes up. Um, and we were talking before the show about like when, when else do you need it? And something else that comes to mind is like with uh, some of the hydraulic lifts, you know, like sometimes they, especially the scissor lifts have very different behavior at the top of stroke versus the bottom of stroke and having a, the ability to program a different um, rate of, di- of a cell and D cell can help you kind of work around some of the, uh, idiosyncrasies of those machines. So, right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess as we get, you know, more and more into hydraulics, yep. we'll have to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, I don't know, what, have you bumped into other things that where you've needed it? You know, I, I have, um, <clears throat> I guess, you know, I, uh, I, I did a project a couple of years ago for, uh, Adrian with stage machines, and we ended up uh, where it could have it potentially could have been helpful in that in that instance, and we ended up you know stacking cues and writing new cues and trying to get around it in that uh, in that sense, and and you know ultimately we got there with it and it was good and everybody was happy with the with the outcome, but um, but it was a little it took a little bit of Took a little bit of work in to get there. Yeah, it's more of a workaround, huh? Than, yeah, yeah. I hear you because what? So we, I guess it's good to, enough time to say that we don't support split A cell D cell. In case you, in case that wasn't clear, um, that our motion card um, that we design and build here only does what we call symmetrical trajectories. So your motion profile always looks like a trapezoid, like it always. A regular trapezoid so it always has the same rate of ascent and descent in the trajectory and and that's actually a limitation of the motion control chip that we use on board and without getting into too much esoterics about how our system works but the 
we have a microcontroller that uh, talks over the network to spike mark. And anytime we want to send a queue, the microcontroller gets that queue information, but then it hands off the dirty business of actually like running the speed signal to a little chip um, that's dedicated. It's an ASIC or an application-specific integrated circuit uh, that does that motion uh, work of like watching the encoder, running the PID loop, adjusting the speed signal, um, and that chip is called the LM628, and it's kind of an old chip, and it, uh, for whatever reason, and I don't know why, but for whatever reason, it does not allow you to have split A cells and D cells. So uh, we don't have it because that <laughs> – because one thing that people ask us sometimes is that – because, oh, well, so what do we have, though? To get around that, we can use uh, what I call like multi-speed queues or multi-part queues. And how does that work, Mike? Uh, well, it, um, you can, you can get your, you start your queue off at whatever, if you're doing a wagon, you want to creep your wagon out and you, uh, you start that initial queue with a, with a slow speed, uh, and, and hit either a position target or a time, a time link to then get your, <laughs> change the speed of your queue right. with a, a new, a new target, a new, um, a new target speed and acceleration. Right. And the acceleration value actually doesn't ever get loaded, yeah. but the, the, but you're like, you're saying that you, we can retarget the speed or I was about to say retarget the target, but retarget the position um, as well. So we can change while the motor is running, we can change the velocity and we can change the target position, but we can't change the acceleration. And when you first find out that you can change the speed or change the target while you're moving, you're like, oh, great. Well, I'll just write an overlapping queue and I'll change the acceleration. You're like, yeah, I wish that were the case. I wish that worked. Um, but that way down at the hardware level, it will just ignore that acceleration command. And I think that that was what I came, I came up with uh, up against with that Stage Machines project. So we, we thought we, you know, we thought we were being tricky while we were right. on the on the site, and we're like, oh, we can totally do this. Yeah, we'll just right. do it. We'll just write a queue. Something seems like it's not working. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but that does mean that you can oftentimes, I wouldn't say all the time, but many of the times where you want split A cell and D cell, you can get around it by just. Um, using overlapping cues where you change speed. And so for that, like you're saying, for that instance of where you want to start in the wing slowly and then increase your speed once you get into sight lines, you could write a slow speed cue and then a, a high speed cue. The downside of that is that you can't change acceleration. So whatever acceleration value you start with, at, way back at the beginning of this sequence, no matter how many times you how many overlapping cues you have and how many times you change speed, it'll always be the same acceleration. Right. <laughs> so you kind of have to plan carefully at the outset. Like, right, right, at the, yeah, the very beginning. Yeah, yeah, we were just doing this job that we'll talk about more on a future, future episode, but there was a kinetic art sculpture, and the, um, we really could have used some split acyl diesel there because we were doing a lot of overlapping moves and the artist really wanted to see different rates of descent. Um, 
of deceleration. I keep saying descent, like like it's coming down. I mean, and sometimes it was coming down. I just mean, I really mean deceleration. Um, they kept wanting to see different rates, and you're like, eh, yeah, I know this because these moves would last for minutes, like, but they'd be dozens of cues whizzing by in the cue stack. And you're like, yeah, it's just that like three minutes ago we set an acceleration rate, so now we're kind of stuck with that. Unless you want to stop the piece. And, 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 and nobody no, wants to stop the piece. <laughs> nobody wants to stop the piece. Yeah. It's supposed to be a kinetic sculpture, not a static <laughs> sculpture. So, <laughs> so that, that, that's an instance where that would have been helpful. Yeah. Well, so, and so this comes around to, well, will we ever have it? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, it's, you know, it's not out of the realm of possibility, right? These things are all just compromises. So, yeah, we could have it. It just it because it is so down in the fundamental level of the circuitry. Uh, it would take new hardware, um, and that's doable. I mean, you know, we could design a new circuit board. We could use a different chip. We could do something else entirely. Um, but that means that 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 feature of having split A cell D cell would only be available to people that have the new hardware. So. Uh, yeah. If anyone who wanted to take advantage of split diesel diesel, you'd be rebuying your stagehands. Right, undesirable. <laughs> it's not a popular thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> the times that we've had to had this conversation with customers, it often comes to that of like, yeah, maybe we could do it, but you know, would you mind having to rebuy your inventory to, <laughs> to support this? Like, how much is it worth to you? <laughs> to you, really? Um, <clears throat> unfortunately, it's not just a simple. If it was just like a software thing, obviously that would we could just release that. But this is pretty fundamental bit. hardware change. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a bigger deal. Yeah. So, so that's split A cell T cell. Um, I don't know. Do you have anything else that you want to talk about about split A cell T cell? Um, no, I don't. Th I mean, you know, a lot of people. A lot of people ask why we don't have it yeah. and not necessarily that it is a requirement every time but just the the uh i guess perceived limitation of not being able to do it oh that's a fair yeah right it's like it, it feels like it should be programmable so why can't i have this yeah. yes yeah yeah, yeah that's true and i think <laughs> we were talking about this before the show too that at mystic uh, when we were working there, we we really sweat blood to put that feature in. Like our first version of the software, or the whole system, also had hardware that didn't support split diesel T cell, and kept coming up, kept coming up, kept coming up. So we we re-engineered the whole system, re and put in split diesel T cell, and I think it got used once, you know, <laughs> um, but, but 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 you could have used it. Well, yeah, I, I I wanted to use it all the time because I was like, we, "Damn it, we put this in." Um, yeah, and that although that you know was maybe not. Um, I mean, we were doing mostly corporate event stuff, so I think that motion demands are sometimes a little easier in that space. Right, right, right. A little more like you know turn the car around and keep turning it around. <laughs> yeah. Open the door. Let the CEO walk through. Yeah. Close the door. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not like these, you know, like giant performer flying rigs where you have hundreds and hundreds of cues. And, uh, 
And where you really want a little more finesse on the motion. Right. So, yeah. But yeah, I think you're right though. There's a there's a there's a real need, and then there's a perceived need. And I mean, both are important, but to varying degrees. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well. Well, hey. So I think you know, moving on to something else that seems to come up pretty regularly <clears throat> uh, is uh, talking about why the stagehand can't store the position when the power gets unplugged. Yeah, I mean, that's that's an excellent question, right? That is, uh, yeah, it's like fraught with peril, right? Like the whole system works lovely if when the computer knows where the motors are and everything is in the right place, but then, right, like you lose power and power comes back on and it looks like on screen everything is sitting back at zero and you look at the stage and it is clearly not at zero, right? <laughs> and if you've got a lot of motors, that's kind of a mess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a big trouble. <clears throat> yeah. Big trouble. And it's also, it's also pretty interesting about, you know, um, about the uh, general ideas about whether or not all the equipment gets powered off every night right. or if it doesn't um, because this can become, you know, if everything is powered off every night, then this is this is a daily routine for either parking everything at zero at the end of the show or resetting every every position every time. As you said, if it's one motor, maybe it's not such a big deal. Yeah. But you know, if you're in like six, eight, or ten <clears throat> or more, axes, yeah, twenty, thirty <laughs> axes, right? Yeah. It can it can become it can become pretty rough. Yeah, you know, your pre-show can turn into like a four-hour call just to get your motors all back into place right right and so yeah we use of course incremental encoders on all of our stuff which means that the encoder themselves doesn't store a position at all it's just uh it's just spitting out um pulses about how far it's going and then the controller is responsible for reading those pulses and storing in its memory uh what the counter is um how far the thing has moved uh, and so if the controller loses power, when it comes back up, that position counter is reset. We get around some of that by having a little battery backup on all of the stagehands. Right. And our battery backup is good for <clears throat> about 45 minutes, right? Yeah, exactly. So, so. it's not going to last you overnight. It's like if you, you know, hit it, if you accidentally un unplug the cable, get that cable plugged back in. Sort of right. Thing. Yeah. Right. Which is good, and you know it's important, especially you know if so if your <clears throat> if your stagehands are plugged in not through not through a PD and through a breaker panel that other mm -hmm. people have access to. If somebody flips off a breaker on you and turns it back on because they realize that that wasn't the one. Yep. Should have been. Then you don't lose your positioning and everything stays okay. But uh, but in the overnight world or yeah. in a longer term, yeah, uh, become. Be trouble. Could be trouble. So, and it, there seems to be a couple of ways that people do it, right? Um, I mean, one is to basically get hardware that does it for you, um, like you know, absolute encoders, which are which are funny in their own way. You know, there's a lot of people uh, that. Well, I don't know. Whatever. They <laughs> how absolute encoders work, right? Is they're only absolute in one rotation. Um, they're absolute in one rotation of the shaft because the rather than having just simple pulses that's being sent out, they have discrete positions printed on the uh, 
um, around the circumference of that encoder. So you get in one revolution, you know exactly where the encoder is. And then every time it hits, goes past that revolution, it you know keeps a counter. This sounds familiar, like with in incremental encoders. It keeps a counter of how many revolutions you've gone, and then it adds that to the encoder count. But what comes out from the encoder is just a position value for you. And they've got some pretty fancy ones. I mean, like the um, some pretty cool encoders that have um, that basically use the mechanical energy of the encoder um, as a way to as a means to generate the electricity that writes the position um, into a non-volatile um, memory, so that it can be powered off, and when it powers back on, it'll be able to tell you exactly where it is. Um, and so, I mean, you know, th so that's one solution, right? Um, our motion controller doesn't accept absolute encoder input, so that's not a solution we can um, take advantage of. Um, the other thing that people do uh, or and have suggested to us is why don't we just write the um, why don't we just write the like at the end of the night you're done with your show you go to close quit spike mark just write down internally in the show file where every motor is and then when you boot back up in the morning you know use that value and the 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 biggest issue, well, there's a few issues with that, but one of the big issues with that is um, what happens if you jog the motor from the stagehand while spike mark's not on? And, yeah, well, then yeah. your position is not correct. Anymore, is it? <laughs> it's not, and, and worse, now you have this kind of sense of security like it should be correct. <laughs> You know, like, so if you just, especially if you just jogged it, you know, a foot or something on stage, you might not notice the difference visually. Like you boot up spike mark and it says it's at nine feet. It's really at eight feet, but like on a deck track, maybe you just don't see it from your position. You're like, yeah, I guess that's about right. You know, um, and then you think you're in good shape and then you run a queue and smash some walls together. Um, so so I'm not a fan of that idea. <laughs> it seems like the wrong place to store the data. Um, <clears throat> but then the next option would be to store it in the stagehand. Yeah. Yeah, but that I think poses some some other challenges too about what you do and how how much how what kind of what kind of taxing is happening on the memory and on the on the actual card and what are you pulling it as yeah. and when you know when do you lose that power when do you <laughs> when do you store that information and how do you not lose your lose your position if uh, in case of a power loss right 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 so yeah so if we store it on the stagehand card there's a couple of options that you think about so the stagehand card has a little bit of flash memory. That's like where we store the IP address, for instance, because the IP address you'll notice is not lost every time the stagehand powers down, right? And it doesn't. Nothing, none of this happens automatically. Like it, we have to make a plan for how these things get done. So that we store that in flash memory. And with the IP address, for instance, we store it every time you change it. So if you change the IP address, we write it to flash, and then we know whenever we boot back up. We'll have we can just read the IP address out of Flash. Well, that seems like a fairly reasonable way. Couldn't we attack the encoder problem the same way? Every time the encoder position changes, write it to Flash. Yeah, the encoder changes a lot, <laughs> <laughs> and the Flash memory has a has a definite uh, lifespan of how many reads and writes you can do 
uh, to it. You can write to it much less often than you can read from it, but you, both things have limitations. Um, and so if we, you know, on a high speed move, if you were trying to write every position change, you'd probably blow through that in a night or two nights, you know, um, and then that flash would be gone. So, uh, and then also it's slow. I mean, relatively speaking, like writing to flash is a lot slower than writing to RAM or reading the encoder data. And so you don't want to bog down the system writing to flash when you don't, uh, when you don't need to. So, so there's kind of, I don't know. So there's two options we we've talked about. Um, one of them is like, we wait for it to settle. So we wait, basically the encoder is running and the piece is moving along and we're just checking in the stagehand card and seeing like, are you still moving? Are you still moving? Are you still moving? Are you still moving? And when you stop moving, then we write that position to flash. And then every time, so basically every time the motor stops, we're going to write the position to flash. And if we lose power at any point, then when we boot back up, we'll have the last position that the motor was stopped at stored in memory. And we can use that as an offset. Um, but I mean, that sounds like a, it sounds like a pretty reasonable, sounds like a pretty, a pretty reasonable solution to get through and not have to replace hardware. Right. Cause the other option would, cause the downside of this is like, well, if you were literally moving mid move and you lost power, then you wouldn't have stopped and the card would not write that position. But what do you, yeah. So, but, so what do you think of, I mean, I guess the question, Mike, is like how, you know, how valuable is that aspect of the feature? I mean, I, I feel that, I don't know. I mean, we touched on this before, but I feel that if we're in the middle of a move and we lose power and we lose position, we've, well, so if we lose position, we've probably lost power. So there's probably also a, a larger issue that everybody needs to take a second and take a look at to figure out what happened and where we all landed. Right. Um, and if it's in a show condition and if, you know, if there's been something like if we've lost some mains, you know, there's also not just going to be the automation that is going to have some issues, but, <laughs> right. uh, but more than likely everybody else in the building has also lost one or two or all legs of power. <clears throat> right. Um, which will cause shenanigans with, with lighting and sound and, uh, yeah, and it seems like not such a crazy thing to say, like, well, if you lose power mid-move, you're going to have to restore. You're going to have to restore and reset position. Um, yeah. Because the, the only way I could think to do it and, and combat that problem is if we had some sort of, like, very tiny UPS inside the stagehand, like maybe just a, a big capacitor, for argument's sake, and the capacitor... We'd have, we'd have some sort of input that's watching mains, and if mains goes away, then we're on, we know we're on capacitor power, and we take that opportunity to say, hey, write your position. Your position now, and then... Yeah. Yeah. And that would probably be the best, honestly, because then, I mean, that's really when we want to store a position. Right. But that's, that's not hardware that exists out there in everybody's stagehands. And we could do this other way of implementing it for people... By just writing a firmware patch and then distributing it via spike mark on the next update or you know whenever whenever we get it implemented. But when we get it implemented, <laughs> once we get it implemented, that is an easy distribution. And it doesn't cost anybody anything. 
Yeah. Well, and that's huge because, you know, not having to, again, as you said, rebuy all of your, all of your equipment. Right. It's uh, is a better, the better solution. Right. As long as you can accept that, that compromise, I think that's probably, yeah, value wise, I think it's probably getting more value out of it that way. Yeah. But yeah, oh yeah, you know, of those things that you wish you'd done. Yeah, yeah. We could because <laughs> the other thing that's a problem, like on some of the stagehands, is that there's just not even there's not even like an one input left on that microprocessor to be able to take a signal in that says mains power is gone. So, okay. Boop. yeah, not gonna well, happen. Next time. <clears throat> next time. That's right. We'll get them next time. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I guess is there one other? There's one other thing. So the nine volt battery. Um, mm-hmm. I guess I mean the nine volt batteries world. Is there a way to maybe bump in a uh, uh, something that is that is powered, you know, from a UPS or something that you know, uh, so that you could do like an AC adapter? Yeah. To you know, to to store it and at least keep it for longer. Yeah, it's possible for sure. And I mean, you're right. I mean, we could have, we could outboard like a big UPS, right? And have like a separate control power in, yeah. um, um, which is, which is a possibility. Or there's like DIN rail mountable UPSs that we could put into the, the stagehand as well oh. um, and uh, get more runtime out of it. I guess the question is just that like eventually someday you're going to run out of that power. And then what happens, you know, like, like we were talking, actually, it's an interesting point you bring up though, because they, we had talked to some folks, um, that were, they had like an old, um, an old rigging system. It was motorized. It was a Vortec system and they wanted to, they were contemplating either upgrading their Vortec system, like with the new stuff, the new foundation controller from ETC, um, since ETC has Vortec now. Or they're like, well, we already use SpikeMark for all our deck automation. Is there? Could we just use stagehand controllers for them? And we're like, and in particular, this issue came to the forefront because we're like, yeah, you know what though, it's not a great fit at the moment because of this problem. Like, um, they would for shows where they didn't use the ring system, they would just throw all the breakers because um, I, I think like there's some component right now in the Vortec hoists that stays on and like the fans continue to run or something if the if there's mains power and so to get the quietest space possible they would throw all the mains breakers and they'd be off for six weeks <laughs> right and then you'd turn them back they would turn them back on and understandably just expect the hoist to know where they are ah oh i see so that would be maybe that's a place where the absolute encoder makes a lot of sense huh? uh, oh for sure for sure yeah. uh, although oddly enough they they were doing something in, you know, Vortec was also doing something in there because those units didn't have absolute encoders on them, but they, so they had come up with some sort of solution as well. But, um, but yeah, but that would be a, an instance where an absolute encoder would make a lot of sense. If you know, you're going to be, if you're planning for power to be off for that an extended period of time like that. Right. So, yeah. Ah, uh, they're coming for you. Yeah, yeah. well, <laughs> I am in New York City. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so anyway, all those things, well, yeah, so that also talks, 
one of the last issues of this leads into our next topic. So the last issue I had about storing the stagehand, uh, storing the stagehand, the position in the stagehand is the stagehands get repurposed all the time, like every six weeks. Like they go back on the shelf and they come back out and they go, you know, as a deck winch this time or controlling a deck winch this time and then a turntable next time and then a hoist the time after that. They're constantly getting moved around. And if we're storing this, the value in there, the only thing that will have to be relearned for users is that uh, that when the stagehand first powers up, it's not going to be at zero. Like usually when you're first taking it off the shelf and you plug it in, it's everything's at zero. Right. And this one could be at, you know, 7,000 or something. Yeah, like whatever it was the last time. Yeah. <laughs> whatever the last turntable move was in the show <laughs> six weeks ago, that's the position. Right. Uh, I don't think that's a deal killer or anything. It's just it will be a little funny. Um, but that rolls us into the next topic of reusing stagehands. And um, this has come up a lot for you recently because as you have been assuming all the tech support uh, in yeah. the last month, um, you get to talk to people a lot about things like reusing a stagehand. And so what do you, so what do you know about that? Or what do you hear about that through the grapevine? Uh, well, you know, I mean, I think that there's, uh, there's been some, there's been a couple, a couple moments where people have been using motors, uh, motors that are not ours and machines that are not ours. They're, you know, homemaking or homebrewed stuff that are, uh, that are low horsepower right. um, and plugging, uh, plugging in the plugging in our stage hands to control them and finding out that, uh, that no, no, in fact, a, uh, a five horsepower drive doesn't, doesn't do so great on a fractional horsepower motor. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. Cause you kind of got two issues there, right? You got like the performance issue and then the safety issue of like, you don't want to burn this thing out. You know, right. You don't want to melt the core, the coil. No. Yeah. No. And and what was the uh, we we got like on my second day, I think, answering the phone, we got a phone call from somebody about uh, they were they were having some issues, and you pulled something together and realized that they had that there was a, a huge amount of amperage output for a for a, a very small motor. Right. Right. Like, right. Because the stagehand had been repurposed from. From some from a five horsepower drive down to down to a, like a two or something, right? A one, a yeah, one. down to a one. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. So they dropped from a five horse to a one horse motor, but they had never bothered to change the current, the allow the max allowable current setting on the drive, which yeah, which is gets in the way of auto tuning. <laughs> yes, yeah. Wasn't it just humming, shaking? <laughs> it was just shaking. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Um, so, you know, so that's, uh, and it's not something I had ever, you know, I had like, aren't you going to plug it into another push stick? <clears throat> right. So, so everything's cool. Right. Um, uh, no, it's better. <laughs> no, gets used in all sorts of ways. Right. <laughs> yeah. So what are some of the things that if someone's going to dust off a stagehand and reuse it on a much lower motor, what do you have to do? <clears throat> uh, well, <laughs> well, that is a great question, Gareth. Um, I think the first, you know, uh, first is checking through. Uh, take a look at the, take a look at the uh, at the manual, and take a look at the little cheat sheet on the, on the parameters on the Mitsubishi drives that we change. Yeah. Um, and what parameters are also there to be changed? 
uh, which you know could be the allowable amperage out um, the uh, the allowable voltage, right? The yeah, the the voltage yeah. is in there, and the um, kilowatt reading of the motor, which always surprises me that you have to set that separately. Like <laughs> it seems like if you're if you've sold it the horsepower, or if you've sold it the current, you've sold it the you've sold it the current, you've sold it the voltage, the kilowatts. It's, it's, just, it's just math. Should, yeah. yeah. Well, you know. <clears throat> but anyway, but right. Yep. Yep. So um, those things. And then uh, something that you came up with that with that fractional horsepower motor as a suggestion. We uh, uh, so auto tuning, auto tuning the motor from the drive um, seems to be the first really good step. Right, and that is hugely important because the the drives um, like you have the tuning settings in the in Spike Mark that control how well it runs cues, uh, but then the auto tuning really. De- helps the drive figure out how to keep speed control over the motor. Um, and the stagehand is assuming that the drive can reliably control the speed of the motor. Um, and, and the auto tuning is a great step for increasing the uh, performance of the drive. Like the drive kind of gets to know the motor. And it, when you do it, when you run the auto tuning procedure, which is outlined in the manual, the motor does all sorts of weird noises like beep, 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 whoop, whoop. <laughs> and, and it does that for like for a good little while but then it's whatever it's doing in there when it does that it has then figured out how to control the motor well so. right and it doesn't move the motor no right just right. you know just yep. does some electrical magic inside yes, yes. Yeah. deep dark magic yeah <laughs> so right so running the auto tuning is a good first step Right. And then, and what did, uh, so what we tried with that, with the fractional horse motor was to set the, to set the drive yeah, as low as we could get it, which was still, which was still, still several times too many. Right. Motor. That's a, right, right, right. So, cause the auto, well, and this is actually an interesting thing to do anyway. First, when you first get a new motor on there, it's like try to run the auto tune because if it bombs out, if it fails to run, that's a good indication that something in the Mitsubishi drive is not set correctly for that motor. And that's when you start poking through all the parameters. But like you're suggesting, so the Mitsubishi drives, Mitsubishi only recommends that you go down 50% below the rating of the motor. Or I'm sorry, the rating of the drive. So if you have a five horsepower drive, you should really only be using like a two and a half horsepower motor at minimum. And then, um, however, in practice, like you really can use these things lower than that. Um, but the drive to run the, for the auto tuning to succeed, you have to kind of lie to it about the current, uh, allowable current. So you kind of set it as low as it can go. And, you know, so like on a, on a five horse drive, you said it's about six amps or so, um, run the auto tune, let it figure out how to control the motor. And then, once the auto tuning is done, now reduce the maximum allowable current threshold down to the nameplate on the motor. Like, look at the motor, look at the nameplate. So if it's a three amp max motor, um, make sure that you do dial down parameter nine, which is the maximum allowable current threshold, um, down to the nameplate. Because that's that's like almost like a settable circuit breaker for the drive. Once it hits that trip point, it won't 
it'll stop sending current to the motor and it'll shut off. Um, and that keeps your motor from overheating. That's like an actual protection step. Uh, but to get the performance out of it, you may first have to lie and say that it can take more current than it really can. <laughs> and uh, just so it doesn't sound like I'm totally going rogue, like I, <laughs> this is actually something I've talked about with Mitsubishi um, when we were first starting to dabble in this ourselves. We're like, eh, it's like our curtain column winch is a one horsepower machine and we sell a drive to go with it. But many people already had five horsepower drives and they wanted to keep using those drives. Um, and so talking with Mitsubishi, we said, hey, the, you know, it doesn't auto-tune well if you give it the right numbers. But if you give it the wrong numbers, it, it'll auto-tune very well. And then we'll just reset the current threshold. They're like, yeah, sure. Yeah. If that works, that sounds great. So. Well, I mean, that's good. It's good to have a workaround. I think the unfortunate part on this one, like this fractional horse, it just didn't, they couldn't get it. They got it close, but they were also running into some other issues um, that I think we are planning to talk about on next week's podcast. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Although, so we did want to just at least drop the hint about the volts hertz mode, right? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so what's that about, Mike? Oh, uh, I, you know, I don't know. It's still voodoo to me. I'm still trying to figure it all out here. Oh, yeah. yeah well, yeah. it's definitely, I mean... To be to be totally fair, some of it's kind of just voodoo, but they um, the the volts hertz mode is a, so there's different modes that you can set the VFD to for controlling the motor, um, and the one that we use in our Stagehand Classic is called sensorless vector mode. Our Stagehand Pro uses just vector mode, um, and the um, all of both of those are pretty are meant to have tight tight speed regulation and have very good performance at low speed, high torque applications. The best is real vector mode, where you, you actually have an encoder feeding back into the drive, and the drive has very tight control over the, the position of the rotor on the motor, and you can actually do, do full torque at zero speed with that. The next step up is sensorless vector, or the next step down, depending on how your hierarchy is in your mind. The next, <laughs> the second place, the silver, <laughs> <laughs> getting awarded the silver medal <laughs> is sensorless vector mode. Um, and that doesn't have an encoder going into the drive, but it does fancy math to figure out where the thinks the rotor of the motor is um, and can still do some pretty trick um, stuff with that. And then we get down to like volts hertz mode or volts per hertz mode. Um, and that is uh much less sophisticated control. It's what's used oftentimes like in blowers and refrigeration units and things like that, where you, um, you're not trying to get very, very tight speed regulation. Um, but that can be a savior when you've got a system that's just not, that's not working well in sensorless vector mode, uh, where the drive can't figure out because maybe you're using completely the wrong motor for that drive, but you still need to get it working um, you can drop to volts hertz mode and you'll lose like that real high torque low speed finesse of the drive but you can at least get smooth motion out of it so right now does it matter so the so the vector the full vector mode on the stagehand pros mm -hmm. is there anything special that we need to do if we're going to use the stagehand pro with a with a, I don't know, with a revolver or. Yeah, that's an excellent question. Yep. 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 There is. So if we're going to get it, because like say with the revolver, 
as you keenly suggest, the revolver <laughs> is a is a machine where we don't have an encoder on the back of the motor. Um, we only have an encoder on for positioning. It's on a dancer wheel, and it watches the turntable there. Um, so in that case, if we if we know we're going to be using a revolver with a Stagehand Pro, we actually have a different version of the machine, um, which we call the Revolver Pro, um, which has a it has two encoders. So it has an encoder on the back of the motor for the speed control, and then it has an encoder on the dancer wheel um, for position control. Sure. Right. Yeah. Yep. And we do the same thing kind of like for some of the, again, getting back to hydraulics. Like if we're doing variable speed pumps and we want to have full vector mode there, we have an encoder on the back of the motor for the pump. And then we have a Celesco string encoder um, watching the position of the lifting table. Pretty slick. Pretty slick. Well, we are nothing if not fancy. <laughs> Nothing. Nothing at all. Uh, nothing at all. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, did what else did you want to say about that, though? I feel like. Um, I mean, I think a lot of it is, you know, uh, a lot of it just comes down to as your motor tuning seems to be uh, <laughs> seems to be one of the biggest questions that comes up, and what you know the first thing to do if you're running into problems is uh, seems to be running the auto tune. Yeah, and then, uh, and then, following some, if you're still having, if your if your motion isn't great or isn't desirable, to follow the, to take a look at our at our fancy motor tuning flowchart in yes. Spike Mark, and um, and see how that can get you to the place where you need to go. Yeah, and that's I, we didn't we didn't have this on our topic list for today, but let's no. let's dig into that just a, a skosh though because that it's an it is something we've had on the list to talk about, which is um, let's uh, let me take this from an anecdote perspective. So I went to down to a scene shop and we were teching a turntable, and um, they said they were having they said everything was working great, but they they noticed that the showstopper three was not very responsive, like that it was taking a long time between the go button press and the start of the queue. And I'm like, okay, well that sounds weird. <laughs> let's take it. Let's dig into that a little bit. And what we saw instantly was that they had left the tuning, the proportional gain, down at one, and they were running everything. And sure enough, they were getting very beautifully buttery smooth motion. It was completely inaccurate like the it would hit target eventually but like these cues that were supposed to take like 20 seconds were taking like 30 seconds and you know like many many seconds too long and they had these ramps that were supposed to be like a two second ramp and you're like that is that is not a two second ramp <laughs> you know it's just you can see by the motion that it's just like it's moving around like it's a like it's running through jello um and and sure enough, like, so when you hit, so you hit the go button and you could see like everything was turning green very quickly, but you weren't seeing motion starting to happen very quickly. And so it's like, nah, it's not, the showstopper's working just like it's supposed to, but this thing is so undertuned that you're just not, it's not getting, it's not developing enough energy in the system to start whipping the turntable around. And it looks like it's delayed, but it's moving. It's just struggling to move at speed, right. you know? And so um, I, I think 
there's a tendency for folks to like see that everything kind of moves with the default tuning uh, in SpikeMark and then just let it be. Um, which, you know, if it works, it works, but it's not actually good tuning for that machine. Like it, it needs to be much more aggressive on, particularly on the proportional gain. Um, you really want to go through some iterations and jack that number up to get, because what you want is a responsive system. Like, you know, you want the computer to have tight control of it so that when it says jump, you know, it's really moving. And a, one of the good indicators I like to look at first when you're looking at a, you're like, you got a new system up, you're running it. How do you know if it's tuned well or not? Well, there's two things I do. One is take a look at um, the countdown timer in SpikeMark. Like you can run the count, the count, there's a little countdown timer next to the queue while the queues are running. And it shows like it's got 20 seconds left, 10 seconds left, five seconds left, three seconds left, et cetera. And then if it goes into negative numbers, then you know that the queue is now taking too long. Like the computer thinks this queue should be done. It's running five seconds long. And that's a good indication like, hey, the tuning's not good. And the second thing I do immediately is just turn on a board on position error and turn the position error way down um, so that you can see, hey, how far off are we in reality from where we should be? Um, and it, that'll mean that the thing just stops all the time. Um, like you'll, you'll hit the go button, it'll lurch a little bit and shut off. Or maybe it won't even move at all and it'll just shut off. You know, it'll turn yellow, uh, which can be a little bit frustrating if you're not expecting that. But it gets you to, it motivates you to keep tuning until the thing is working right. And I had, I mean, you helped me with this in the fall with two turntables and a, and a winch. And a microphone. Yeah. <laughs> and a microphone. Yeah. And a roll drop. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, all of those, like uh, we, you know, I mean, honestly, I just, you know, we, we were, we were struggling to get the timing correct. And, you know, and, uh, and ultimately we just, we needed, we needed some time to, to sit down and to sit down and do it yeah. and to tune it and to run the tuning and to run through everything and get it, get it where we needed to. Yep. Um, so tuning motor tuning. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's everybody's favorite thing to do, <laughs> but you know, what's funny is like once you get, cause I do you hear this a lot that like it's, a, it, it's problematic for people, but um, I think once you've done it successfully a couple of times, it doesn't – something that comes up – once you've done it well once, you realize that it actually shouldn't take you very long. Like you should see very good results in like five, ten minutes of tuning. And if you're spending like an hour tuning, there's something else wrong in the system. Like mechanically, something has gone haywire because the tuning re requires that there be a very tight connection between the input and the output of the system. And um, – if you've, if there's, uh, like if everything was like connected with bungee cords in your, in your machine and you tried to like, you know, tried to move the motor and see the wagon move and it just like stretched the hell out of the bungee cords and then like, then the wagon shot forward on the bungee cords, that would be a really, really hard system to tune. It has nothing to do with the motor. It has everything to do with like the mechanics stink. Um, uh, and so if you're spending a lot of time tuning, Look, take a hard look at your mechanics and see: did something loosen up? Do we have something misaligned? You know, whatever it is, but um, it, tuning actually isn't that bad. Yeah, I, uh, you know, also just recently I did a, a little project again for 
stage machines and uh and we were having some trouble with one wagon and it was just like wasn't going it was like we're getting manually moving it up to you know and jogging on the face of the the uh drive at like 18 or 21 percent before it moved and then it lurched and it was you know rocketed away and we couldn't we were having a really hard time figuring out what it was and then ultimately we realized that the brake just wasn't disengaged oh hey there you go right <laughs> yeah there was like the brake was the problem and it was doing what it should until the until we gave it enough juice to get it past <laughs> right until the motor finally kicks past the brake yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. so you know we live and learn live and learn right but you're not going to tune that out no, <laughs> no, but we tried. Yeah, yeah, not for like a tried. Absolutely, <laughs> we tried. Man, something is really wrong. I don't know. I... Give it hell. Give it more juice. <laughs> more power. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I think we've all yeah. done that. Cool. All right. All right. Well, I think that. Did you have anything else to add? I have nothing. Sweet. So thanks, everyone, for listening. If you like the show, please rate it on iTunes and tell your friends. It's the best way for people to find the show. If you have things you'd like us to talk about, uh, we've got quite a backlog, but we are always looking for better ideas than the ones we come up with. Um, send an email to podcast at creativeconnors.com, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>